1: This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What's going on everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for Mass Live. I am joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, uh, how you doing?
0: Well, Tom, I know I made this exact same joke to start the podcast after Game 6, but, you know, I'm tired because it's one forty-five. yet I can't imagine being as tired as the players who just gutted out a Game 7 win, you know?
1: I mean, that game looked exhausting. I mean, it was a heck of a game. Celtics beat the Raptors in Game 7, 92-87. Just some takeaways from that game. Nicole, what what were some of the, the biggest things that stood out to you?
0: It came down to the wire, which is, of course, what you would want for a Game 7. Like It came down to the final minutes of the fourth quarter. And in those final minutes, the two biggest plays of the game, as Brad Stevens said, were Marcus Smart's block of Norman Powell and Jason Tatum's offensive rebound after Grant Williams missed two free throws. The
1: block by Marcus Smart, I mean that was really one of the, I mean that was, that was the biggest play of the Celtics season. I mean, he stayed right with Norman Powell and then somehow managed to elevate and block that without committing a goaltend just a phenomenal play I mean there's gonna be a lot written about this game Jason Tatum showed real superstar stuff like it wasn't the most efficient line but just putting up 29 points in a game like that and just really willing the Celtics over the finish line was was really impressive I thought Grant coming in cold was really impressive but I think that all of that aside the big play of the game was the Marcus Smart block the big play of the Celtics season was was the Marcus Smart <laughs> (laughs) block. Anything else that you wanted to get into uh, on this game before we go into winners and losers?
0: Um, Well, I feel like Grant probably won't fall into a winner-loser category just because we just see him in such small doses. But I thought tonight he played really well after Tice fouled out. They went to Grant over Rob, and I thought that that was potentially an opportunity for Toronto to take advantage of him. And he definitely messed up by missing those two free throws. I think that was just nerves for him. But, like, you got to make free throws in that game. Like, if they lose, he's definitely getting the brunt of that. So, Like he said on his Instagram, shout out to Jason Tatum for bailing him out there by getting that rebound. But then on one of Toronto's like desperation plays, he manages to stay poised against- After Tatum
1: went one for two because these guys could yeah. not make two free throws to save their lives tonight.
0: He manages to stay poised on Fred Van Vliet and I feel like that's an example of why you go to Grant because Rob probably would have jumped or, you know, committed a foul potentially. Like the likelihood of that happening with Rob in the game is a lot higher to have a defensive error and I think Grant really showed why he is the better option in that situation.
1: I think that it's like unquestionably that Grant comes out a winner in this. Like, I know it's like a small sample size, but like the fact that he came in and and performed, you know, not only well, but like, I thought he, he, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens. I think there's a real chance that he ends up getting some minutes, some major minutes against Miami, given that, you know, Miami's got Bam Adebayo, who is sort of like, you know, he's bigger and, and more athletic and, you know, better than Grant, but like Grant at least is like a similar, like, you know, mobile, strong big man. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we saw some more of Grant, and, and again, it's in part, like, after the game, Brad said, like, Grant stays ready. Like, he, he stays ready to play. You know, it's a small sample size, but I think you can call Grant a winner just based on that.
0: I'm probably know. being too harsh, but if he made his two free throws, I would definitely consider him a winner, but like, you, you can't miss both of them there. Like, that would have sealed the game, you know? Like, it really
1: would have, yeah. No, that, I, I feel that for sure.
0: I feel for him because he's a rookie. That's oh, yeah. And stuff like that, but you, you just can't miss those. You, you really can't.
1: I, I, res- I respect that. Like obviously missing the free throws was near catastrophic, but he did kind of make that catch on the Kemba pass. He like, he fouled Kyle Lowry out on that play.
0: No, totally. And even outside of game seven, like. I feel like for winners and losers, the exercise is to look at the series holistically and Grant had a great series. He's actually making threes. Like he's.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, for sure.
0: He got a couple of key offensive rebounds. He had a good series, but I just think like in game seven and a function of this is circumstance. Like he wasn't the choice there. I'm sure Brad Stevens would have preferred to have Daniel Tice, but to miss those, it just could have ended up much worse. And you just never want that possibility to be out there.
1: Yeah. and, And you mentioned that the Raptors could have maybe tried to like attack Grant and they did actually while Tice was on the bench they had Siakam go right at him a bunch of times which like was hit or miss because <laughs> my goodness Pascal Siakam was brutal other uh, I, uh, the other thing I, I would just say about that game Jason Tatum was 9 for 23 29 points 12 rebounds 7 assists i mean high level stuff against the second best defense in the NBA during the regular season and a team that just clamped down like they were just firing on all cylinders defensively everything that they weren't doing offensively one thing i will say about Siakam like he was bad offensively but like he actually kind of I mean a lot of times he was just a difference maker defensively because his arms are so long and Tatum did blow by him one-on-one but like as part of a team scheme uh Siakam was pretty good point being that uh Jason Tatum I, I just thought that tonight's performance was really special uh all right let's do uh let's do some winners and losers
0: All right, I mean, so the obvious one is Pascal Siakam comes out looking like a loser. Again, sort of we did this after the Philly series, and this isn't necessarily an indictment of Pascal Siakam's regular season, Pascal Siakam's career moving forward. But just in this series, he 1,000% underperformed. And I think Nick Nurse would tell you that. Pascal Siakam said it after the game today. He said, I would blame myself or I feel like the blame is on me type thing. And it's, like, the wild thing about it is, like, it was the entire series. Like, yeah. even that game, we've talked about this in our instant reactions. Even that game where he, quote, unquote, went off, it was not good. And he just never Stan seen Van
1: Gundy mentioned that on the broadcast tonight. He, he Like, he pointed out, like, yeah, he scored 23 points, but he went two for 13 from three.
0: And the problem with that isn't even the fact that he went 2 of 13. Like, it's not the shooting percentage that bothers me. It's the fact that he took 13 threes. I think that just shows how difficult it has been for him to get anything going in the paint. And a lot of that is due to Jalen Brown's defense, also the Celtics defense as a whole. Like, Grant Williams, you sort of like what we mentioned earlier, you think that's a matchup Pascal Siakam would be able to take advantage of, but Grant's able to hold his ground. The other weird thing, though, is that even when he has easy lanes to the basket or even when it looks like he has a gimme layup, he still manages to miss it. The ball still manages to either roll out of the rim or go in and out. And it's just like the dude couldn't buy a bucket. His offense this series was abysmal. And the fact that Toronto was able to stay in it with that performance is really encouraging and I think speaks to sort of their identity But if I'm the Raptors, like, they probably aren't thinking this way, but you just gotta think if you could get something from Pascal Siakam, it would have been a game changer for them. I obviously don't have it in front of me how many total turnovers he had in the series, but like, just seemed to have like no control of the ball, just like no control of his game. Like, every time he got the ball and started posting up someone, even if it was Grant Williams, it looked like a very laborious task.
1: He had five turnovers tonight. And some of
0: them were in key moments, too.
1: Yeah. I think it was one where he just, like, coughed it up in the post um, late in the fourth quarter. And I just, like, I genuinely don't know what was going on. Like, I I, I do think that his defense was a little undervalued in this series. But, like, that aside, he was so detrimental to the offense Every time he touched the ball, you just were cringing for him. It looked awful. You never thought, oh, he's got an open three. He's going to make it. And I don't know if you remember the first time the Celtics and Raptors met this season. He was incredible. Well, you know, way back. I mean, almost a year ago at this point. But I mean, he was making like pull-up threes. He was doing all the stuff that you watched it. And you were just like, is this guy going to like take over the league? Like what is happening?
0: Usually when players have bad performances and people get their jokes off, you know, it's one game or like one play or a short time span. Like, people are saying, like, I've never seen a player look like they forgot how to play basketball in a whole series. And, like, that legitimately was Pascal Siakam. That's just not, like, hyperbolic comedy here.
1: Yeah, I'm sure every basketball player has had a game where it feels like you've forgotten how to play basketball. Like, it just, it just happens sometimes. One game would be totally normal. But to your point,
0: seven in a row? Like... <laughs> Even two games at this level. Sure, absolutely. The bubble. Even three games. We'll give them that too. But seven games. <laughs>
1: I mean, the Raptors made Kemba look like he forgot how to play basketball a little bit in like Game Six and Seven because they threw a literal box yeah. and one at him. But yeah, I mean, Siakams was obviously uh, was obviously different.
0: It was just, and like you said, I feel like that's the perfect description. Is just like every time he got the ball, I can like physically remember myself just cringing because you're like, how bad is this gonna get? Yeah. Like every time he makes a basket, you're surprised. And that's not how you should feel about your budding superstar during the playoffs.
1: No, it is not. I'm going to go ahead and say that I think Robert Williams was a loser in this series. The Celtics were hoping to see, I think, what they saw in the seeding games. They saw some of that stuff with him. But I think more than anything, the thing that stands out is just his, like, his continued struggles on the defensive end. But the problem with the playoffs is that it is a zero-sum game, and you have to, like, you have to do the right things, and it does not matter if you're developing, especially on a team like the Celtics. Like, the Celtics are not here for your development. The Celtics are here to win. Rob struggled. I mean, obviously, there's things that he did well, but, like, just in general, the defensive problems, I think, are going to probably give Brad some pause before he, uh you know, signs Rob up for big minutes going forward.
0: So I think this series really proved that Rob still is the same player, if that makes sense. If he can play to his potential or somewhat close to what his potential is, then he makes for a really good rotation player. As we saw in this series, you see the benefits of that verticality and that explosiveness. And he got offensive rebounds. He was lobbed to thousands of times or not thousands, dozens (laughs) of times. (laughs) And he had like an, I think his field goal percentage for the series is like in the high 80s. So like there are benefits to having him on the court offensively. But ultimately, again, what you see is that just that he's not ready. What do you anticipate for his playing time against the Heat?
1: Um, I do think that there is something to the idea of having somebody who is really bouncy, who can just kind of do some different things than what Bam does. While Bam is an excellent athlete, I, su- I suspect that Rob is, you know, has an even higher vertical leap just because who doesn't he have a higher vertical leap then. I-, I don't know that I think that that's going to necessarily move Brad who really likes guys who he can trust in a system. He really likes guys, especially that he can, tr- I mean, especially that he can trust defensively because obviously Rob gives you some offense, especially if Gordon Hayward comes back. The Celtics have plenty of offense. They feel like they have their guys. I don't think Rob's going to get like, if-, if the series goes six games, I don't think Rob's going to have six DNP CDs or anything like that if he doesn't play a little bit better or if, or if we don't see like a better matchup between him and bam i would be surprised if we saw like a bunch of games where he's got more than like 10
0: with the bam matchup i just think bam is so much stronger than him
1: yeah yeah
0: and i know rob has the height but i think bam- especially in
1: his base yeah. like that's that, yeah. that matters so much obviously. power
0: his way to the hoop so i feel like brad has been using him basically as a jolt of offense like if he feels like the celtics are just kind of I don't know what exactly it is in those specific moments, but I feel like he is in just you know, sort of like bring that bounciness and to hopefully get a few easy buckets. And then it's like, all right, once Serge Ibaka comes in in this series, he takes Rob out.
1: Like if you look at Rob's numbers, his offensive ratings are... Great. And his defensive yeah. ratings are <laughs> not great. If, if that's the way you're using him, I think that's, that's the way that makes the most sense. I will say, Adebayo is not a three-point shooter. And that really seems to be what has tripped up Rob the most. Um, so maybe if he doesn't have to worry so much about Bam, like maybe if he's able to go into more of a drop coverage, cause I mean, that's, that's where it makes the most sense to have him. He's, he's, mm-hmm. he's so long and everything. Um, maybe, maybe that works out for him. That said, I think that could probably bring us to one of the losers, uh, one of the other losers. A player who Rob had plenty of success against because he couldn't find his shot at all. I think Marcus is a huge loser in this series. Yeah, and maybe it's just like, and you know, I think we're, I think we're looking at the last few years of Marcus Paul's career.
0: It's very easy for us to call a 35-year-old player a loser. I just think much that... easier
1: for you, as I am much closer <laughs> to 35 than you are.
0: But you know, like what do you expect out of someone like Marcus All who's thirty-five? Like it's not like he's LeBron James, you know what I mean? Like when certain players get to that point in their career, they're just gonna be washed against like younger talent. And obviously there are exceptions to that, but I think I I think the average player, like their age just plays a huge factor. And I think in our episode with Ben Golliver, He made a perfect analogy because it was right before game six when Serge Ibaka was questionable with his ankle injury and he was walking around with a boot after the game. And he goes, well, Serge Ibaka has a walking boot on, but Marc Gasol has been playing with two walking boots on, so I would rather take Serge because (laughs) that's true. Like, his mobility and, like, it was so bad. And, like, on top of that, he couldn't buy a shot. He had a couple of open threes tonight against Rob and couldn't knock him down. And I think the most telling stat is... In the first half, the Raptors are up by seven, seem to be in control of the game. Obviously, it's still early, but they definitely seem to be the team that's in control. Marcus checks in, and then the Celtics go on a 17-6 to run to head into halftime with the lead. And it's just like the fact that Nick Nurse stuck with him to start the second half, I thought, was an interesting decision. I'm surprised you didn't just go with Surge and then once you reach that point in the fourth or end of third quarter, just ride your all-small lineup. I thought that was an interesting decision, but yeah, no way he comes out in the winner column. Like you said, it's kind of tough to call him a loser because he's like a 35-year-old center, but he did nothing in this series, I feel like, that proved otherwise.
1: Obviously, like, you talked about him missing shots against the Celtics. Like, he was not a factor offensively. Defensively was where I thought the Celtics really hurt him, like, especially with Kemba. Like, if Gasol tried to come up, they were just blowing right by him, and, and that's... Especially with the Celtics, that's so problematic because so much of their offense is predicated on drive and kick, so if that initial drive like takes one of the guys completely out of the play and you're running your most comfortable offense five on four anyway it's a problem. other losers i I don't really have that many other other losers. I, I I mean there were there were guys who had like you know good moments, bad moments. I mean I, for instance like Norman Powell. I, I'm not quite comfortable calling him like a winner winner, but like I don't yeah, think, I really,
0: don't think he falls into either category. Yeah, and
1: that's why that's why I come down on most of the rest of the guys who aren't winners. Right. So I, I I don't think I don't think I have any other losers unless you do.
0: Yeah, I don't think I do either.
1: Uh, why don't you give us our first uh, big winner for you?
0: I would say Brad Stevens comes out looking really good after this series. I thought this series was definitely, not only was it a matchup between the players, but like, the coaches, too, in terms of the adjustments, because the Raptors yeah. threw out all of those defenses, the Raptors threw out their small ball lineup. Brad had to account for all of that because the boxing yeah. one was affecting Kemba, like sort of unlike the Philly series, like the coaches' adjustments were actually affecting the players. And if you don't account for them, it could be the difference. And I think Brad really countered everything Nick Nurse brought well.
1: I agree. I mean, the Celtics have so many good players that a lot of times I think you can forget that they also have like a you know really good coach um, behind it. But this was a series where I think coaching played a pretty major role. (laughs) Sometimes the coaches were even on the court. But I I do think
0: that that was legal. So
1: the NBA did say that was legal. You're you're right. The ways that Brad managed to counter what Nick Nurse was doing, I think you're. I think the biggest one was exactly what you said, like figuring out ways to still score against the box and one. Or at least score just enough, because they still only put up 92 points in game seven. But to, to figure out what you needed to do against that was, was crucial. It was a good series by Brad. That's a, that's a good call. I'm going to go with, uh, winner, uh, I think Marcus Smart comes out as, as a big winner in this series. He was excellent. Really kind of the, the counter to, to Kyle Lowry in, in a, in a couple of games. He, uh, obviously had that big explosion in game two tonight. He was, he had the chase down block, but he was also just, you know, a solid player. And an epic stream of retweets and tweets after the game. I think he was mad that the NBA tweeted hashtag we the North a bunch of times after Game 6. But either way, I enjoy the, uh, the cryptic Twitter drama after some of
0: these games. I was kind of confused by that behavior because I think the general sentiment from both teams is like, what a battle, great series, tough series, credit to the Raptors, credit to the Celtics. It was a lot of mutual respect that felt genuine. And I think was genuine. Everybody has pointed it out at this point. Marcus Smart and Kyle Lowry are the Spider-Man meme. So there's a certain level, I guess, of maybe gamesmanship or something there. But it never got chippy to the point that other Celtics playoff series have gotten chippy or, like, testy. Minus, I guess, that scrum, sort of. That scrum didn't even get that aggressive after Game 6. Yeah. I I was just kind of surprised to see him sort of go off. I don't know. I think you're right in that it was a direct shot at the NBA because – so he tweeted his own tweet of the King of the North basically the same number of times that the NBA. I tweeted out that hashtag. So maybe that was it, but I don't know.
1: So my guess is that what happened is he tweeted the King of the North thing, and this is just a guess, but... I think he tweeted the King of the North thing because he was mad at the NBA. And then I think he retweeted the NBA when he realized that people were taking it as like a direct shot at Toronto. Because later he said all the same things that all the other Celtics players said about just like, you know, how, how much they respect Toronto, especially how much they respect Lowry, like all that stuff. Um, I think, you know, I think he meant every word of it. Like he, he clearly had a lot of respect for those guys. He was, he, him and other guys were like yucking it up. I think like, might have been in like the, It was like it felt like a pretty like tense game seven moment, and he and Lowry were just like chuckling on the sideline together. Like I think that's probably what was going on there. That like he saw a lot of people saying like, "Oh, Smart's dunking on Toronto." He's like, "Oh, wait a minute, no, I should make sure everybody knows that I'm referencing this."
0: Right, because Smart's also not that type of guy to get. I think that petty. Like usually when he gets petty, it's in a. It's not in that overt way. It's more in like a, I think, subtle or like like there's humor layered in his approach usually. Like this just seemed like such a direct shot. So I was just so surprised. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it makes sense that he feels fine taking a direct shot at the league.
1: Correct, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, which I respect immensely. Marcus Smart, winner. Kyle Lowry is a big winner in this series. Not that he cares what I think but uh I was just very impressed I found him to be just a, a big one I I like came away with a lot more respect I, I always think it's interesting when you cover a series how much more respect for opposing superstars you have because you know you see them every once in a while and like you you catch like the, a few games on TNT but you're not really like except for the games where that like Lowry is playing against the Celtics I'm not really like taking notes on him I'm not really noticing all the little things that he does and how important it is to the Raptors when he gets to the basket how how much he holds together defensively as a point guard and then when you cover a series that he's playing in and you are taking notes and it's day after day after day you really kind of learn something about him and I've always thought that Lowry was fine but getting to finally cover a series that he's playing in I have a lot of respect for that dude he is he is a hall of famer and he is just an impressive basketball player.
0: So I would argue that it doesn't always give you respect I'd argue that it's Amazing how watching a series or covering a series just completely like influences your view of a player. Because yeah. in Kyle Lowry's instance, it's respect and you're like, wow, you want this guy on your team. For example, with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, I feel like Celtics fans have the most skewed view of the point.
1: That's a really good point. The Celtics
0: have just dominated them in these playoff series. And I bet moving forward, Celtics fans are not gonna let Pascal Siakam forget this, and they're just gonna assume Pascal Siakam sucks. Yeah, we're not going to see him in like this extended view. So I, I always find it fascinating that like your view is just so influenced, which makes sense. It's like potentially seven games in a row of seeing them. It definitely skews people's views of players for better or for worse.
1: For sure. Yeah. I mean, Brad obviously likes to say good, nice things about opponents, but tonight he said that he thinks that Lowry is like one of the toughest players that he has had to coach against.
0: Throughout the series, Brad has been very complimentary of Kyle, and I think also in an unprompted way. Like, somehow Lowry just works his way into all of Brad's answers. And he also was basically the only raptor that Brad was praising that effusively. Like, or maybe praised at all.
1: Yeah, I think literally at all, yeah. Yeah. You can always tell when Brad, like, respects somebody and, like, when he, like, really likes somebody. Like, somebody asked tonight, like, does Toronto make you better? You know, he said, I mean, of course. I've coached in a lot of playoff games now. And, and like, you could just kind of feel him working up to, like, complimenting Lowry. And then, sure enough, that's when he got around to, like, I think Lowry, obviously, he's up there with the best I've ever coached uh, as far as thinking the game and putting people in spots. Other winners, I mean, we, we don't have to go too deep into him because, like, we talk about him all the time. But Jason Tatum, I thought, was, a, like, a, a winner in this series. You expect your superstar to step up? And I thought he stepped up. It's really kind of just that simple. Like he had like a couple of off games. Um, but he also had some great ones. I would uh I would put him in the winner column as well.
0: So because he's Jason Tatum, and I think you suggested this when we did winners and losers for the Sixers series, like we should hold him to a higher standard because generally he's going to be in the winners category. Yeah, for sure. I think for him, I agree, but I think it's the game seven performance that really puts him in the winners category because he did have a couple games where it wasn't like, again, not like a bad night, but just not great. I think there were a couple nights where he was five of 15, you know, like. Like, I think there are a couple nights where he just maybe wasn't, like, the most – he didn't bring maybe as much, like, offensive firepower as he is capable of.
1: No, but I think that you're exactly right that it was Game 7 that put him over the top. Because, yeah, I mean, Game 6, I think he had, what, like, 29 points, and you still just kind of came away from Game 6, like, eh, could have been better. You know, defensively, I mean, he's been crucial to the Celtics throughout the playoffs. Um, Before tonight's game, they were 21 points per 100 possessions better defensively when he was on the court. I have one other one other winner, and it's kind of it's a little bit different because it's not based on him playing well. Um, But I think Kemba Walker is a winner. He came to the Celtics hoping to make deep playoff runs. He's in the conference finals now, and like yeah, Raptors did a really nice job limiting him with the with the box and one, and you know they obviously kind of took him out of the game, especially in game six. But just more importantly, I think just the fact that he, you know, set out to make deep playoff runs to be like a part of like meaningful playoff games, he has gotten to do that. And now he gets to continue to do that um, in the conference finals. So I think maybe not a winner for his play on the court, but just kind of a, a winner overall, uh, I, I would say that's Kemba.
0: Yeah, you could tell how pumped he was after yeah, the game, could. just seeing his reaction. And I think Dan Wojcicki of the LA Times, he tweeted that as Kemba was walking off the court, he shouted like, let's and go. I feel like this means a lot to him. And Brad also, speaking of Brad being effusive, has said multiple times how much Kemba loves basketball, how important he is to this team, and just he is obsessed with Kemba's sort of energy and just his approach to the game. And I think it's because the two of them love basketball so much. And they don't love sort of everything else that comes with it. Like they could care less about like, I mean, I'm sure Kemba wants to get paid and same with Brad, but they could really care less about the spotlight and brand deals and everything sort of that comes with being a basketball coach or more of a basketball player. And then I guess when you coach the Celtics, but (laughs) I think they share a lot of the same mindset though, when it comes to this profession.
1: It's tough not to look at the way that Kemba reacted to like some things going wrong and also look at like the way that Kyrie reacted to whatever happened between games one and game two last year of the, of the semifinals. Kemba's just a very different human, a very different basketball player and, Very much what this team needed, I think, especially after last year.
0: It's not just that they're different. Like, they're on, like, opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to Kyrie was always cryptic whenever he would talk about the young players, or critical.
1: Yeah, right, (laughs) yeah.
0: Kemba is just, like, openly, I've used the word effusive so many times, but just, like, so effusive in his praise. I mean, Kyrie had Uncle Drew, and, like, obviously commercials and stuff I mean he made that Nike commercial talking about his jersey in the rafters like Kemba doesn't seem to care about that stuff
1: yeah so I guess the the last winner I have and we can keep this one quick because our listeners are probably don't care too much about it but I think OG and Inobi's a winner from this series oh uh, yeah defensively he was awesome individually as part of the team offensively he showed some real flashes of what he could be in the future so I would, uh, I would call him a winner. I don't think it's like a clear cut one because tonight he was one for three. Like, you know, he had like, he wasn't, he wasn't like a superstar or anything for that, but I just think he was a, he was a really good solid player and there's, I think there's a lot of room for him to grow too.
0: I think it's clear cut because he had a good series and he made that shot in game three. Like if he doesn't make that shot in game three, it's over. And it's not like the rest of his series was like subpar. Like he had an above average series as a whole. And then he makes that shot. Like, I I think he's definitely a winner. That's a good one. I forgot about him. Serge Ibaka actually comes out looking pretty good. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Especially sort of given where his career was just like a couple seasons ago. I think, I mean, he also did exactly what they needed him to do. Like, He he had really good stat lines. I think it's a really good sign that if you're injured and there's a chance that you might not play and everyone's like freaking out about your team's chances, like that's a pretty good indication for you because if he didn't play in game six, like who knows? I thought he had a really good series.
1: Agreed. Alright guys, well we'll leave it there. Heck of a series, really fun. Game one of Miami Celtics is on Tuesday. We appreciate anybody who has uh, left us a rating or a review. Get in touch with us and we will talk to you all soon.
0: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great signup bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.